There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, hey, hey. Our test is in the stands. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Welcome to the Points of the Pay podcast, sponsored by Stadium. We're talking everything NBA. I'm Ben Wittenstein. And I am Zach Bazerhouse. And you know this is what? What is this? The number one NBA podcast on Stadium. It is. That's true. The one and only. We're number one for a reason. We are talking everything NBA. And we appreciate everyone sticking with us through the playoffs. It's been a fun playoffs, as always. And now... We know at least one team who's going to be in the conference final, the Western Conference final, and that's the one and only Phoenix Suns. Zach, as we all predicted way back in November, we all talked about the Phoenix Suns going to the Western Conference finals. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knew it was going to happen. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but we at least we were rooting for them. You know, we wanted them to go to the playoffs to finish the bubble. A no. So, you know. It's them to see, and I like the I like the question that was asked after the game too about the eight and zero momentum coming into the playoffs, and Devin talked about that. So yeah, I'm excited for the Suns. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a lot of fun to see them, whoever they play, Clippers or Jazz. The Suns, and I have had a lot of people like say this to me, Texas to me about them just being really fun and how yeah. fun of a team they are to watch, how fun of a team they are to root for. Uh, the players on that team are just fun players. Everyone loves Chris Paul. Devin Booker is is a fun guy. Now, yeah, they love him now. Now, yes, yes, used yes. They hate him when Steph Curry was rising to the occasion. It just seems it seemed like uh, Chris Paul was in the way or something. Yeah, everybody no, loves him. Point. But <laughs> everyone, yeah, everyone loves Chris Paul again. People love Devin Booker. He's a fun guy, and you got Bridges. You got even people love Cameron Payne, and they love I the love effort. Payne. I was waiting on it. <laughs> yeah, they they love the effort Cameron Payne gives, and you know that's fair. I'll I'll give it to him. The guy the guy's a fun guy to watch play, especially if he's hitting jump shots and and long threes. So it's a fun team, and people are excited to watch him. So they're the first team in the NBA this season to make the conference finals, and they're going to play the Jazz or the Clippers, whoever wins that series. And we'll talk about that in a second. But we wanted to hit on this Denver series that Phoenix still four not even expect that to happen we thought the suns were going to win the series but we thought it would be in seven games we thought denver would put up a little bit more of a fight and they ended up not being able to do it the the play of chris paul was spectacular devin booker came and he was a great scorer deandre ayton did a great job and you had all these guys put together i mean chris paul in game four 37 points the guy played his ass off and he played like he was someone who wanted a break before the Western Conference Finals. It's, I mean, the guy is old. He, he was playing like it, the break depended on it. It's great. It's, it's, I mean, it's fun to watch. And I love Denver, but the Suns, the Suns have been great. Suns have been great. You know, your boy, I know it's tough to see your boy go to the crib. You know, I know that's rough. 
especially, yeah. you know, Nikola Jokic. But I didn't like how he went out, you know. Like, no. yeah, you know, he's MVP of the league, and you eject him the way that they did for a, for a hard foul. I mean, you could probably call it flagrant, but, you know, he hit the ball. I felt like he was going for the ball. He didn't mean to swipe Cameron Payne in the face. How, I mean, how did you feel? I mean, I didn't really think he should have been ejected. I think that, that probably wouldn't have mattered in the game, but I think it did change swiftly. Yeah, I don't know if it would have mattered, but I, I I could see it going either way. I think what I landed on, and as much as I love Jokic, I think the fact that he hit him in the face, it's hard to get yourself out of that. Even if it was unintentional, I think you, you smack the guy in the face. It was, it was clearly a frustration foul on Jokic's part. He was frustrated for not getting a foul call on the possession previous. And he was taking his frustration out on Cameron Payne, who had the ball. He swatted at it haphazardly, and he didn't really care where the hand went. Hit him in the face. Anytime that happens, if you hit a guy in the face in in a pretty hard foul, you're going to probably get called for that. And, you know, being the MVP, maybe he should have been afforded a little bit more leeway in the call. And maybe they just say it's a flagrant one. But play ball. (sighs) And Cameron Payne kind of played into it. I mean, he he was down for a bit, and he clearly didn't clearly hurt him. And it clearly wasn't purposeful for Jokic to try to hurt him. But he did hit him in the face. And it's hard to defend that when that is what the NBA has been calling for a good amount of time. And, and when they say if you get hit in the face, it's probably going to be an ejection if you do it like that. I guess. But, you know, Nikola Jokic, he's not a hard, tough guy or anything no. like that. So it was just like, you got to cut this guy some slack. You know, you, yeah. you know how they got a resume. You know, a guy like Boogie Cousins, okay, that might happen because, you know, he has a record of getting a lot of texts. Draymond Green has the record of getting a lot of technical fouls. You know, something like something along the lines of that. And even some of those technical fouls that they receive are questionable. But even in that same breath, a guy like Nikola Jokic, to receive a flagrant two and be ejected in a playoff game, I just like a win or go home game. I just thought that yeah. was a little, a little extreme given the circumstances. It's a little much. I would agree, but yeah, I mean he's the MVP. Should be afforded a little bit more way kind of do. It didn't work out that way. I don't think his presence would have really helped them win that game. The Suns were up at that point. <laughs> Anyway, and I know Denver made a bit of a run towards the end of that game, uh, and maybe him being there could have helped them a little bit more, pushed them over the edge, and, and they could have maybe made it a 3-1 series, but this was the Sun series to lose. I don't think even with Jokic available, uh, and even with Will Barton back from injury, and he looked pretty good, too, in the, in the time that he played after being back from injury, I don't mm-hmm. think the Suns lose this series either way, so... I mean, his loss was definitely felt and probably prevented him from making a comeback, but it really just made the inevitable happen quicker, and it sent them okay. home quicker. It lets them <laughs> it lets them get more rest for the off season. They get an extra week or so if unless they would have made it a series. So, all in all, I think it was probably good. I mean, the Nuggets played so much basketball in the past what is a year and a half. Yeah, that's true. They need to rest. This is this is a team like the Heat that we saw, like the Lakers, uh, a team that has worked incredibly hard, more than probably any other team except those two in the last couple of years, simply because especially the bubble, 
they had two series where they came back from 3-1. And that'll start to take a toll on the players, especially with a shorter offseason. And then you jump right into the next season. You have to you suffer some injuries with your guys. You, you play shorthanded in the playoffs, too, this year without Jamal Murray. They need a rest. They need this offseason to rest, yeah. relax. Jokic mm-hmm. is going to be coming off his MVP. They'll get Jamal Murray back sometime probably midseason next year. So they'll be able to be fully healthy come the stretch down to the playoffs next season after having a pretty elongated offseason than they have been used to the past couple of years. And that just goes right into, you know, what we're going to talk about next. And that's, you know, the injuries in the playoffs, right? Like, yeah. there's been so many. Yeah. There have been so many injuries piling up as of late. I mean, we got Kevin Durant out there by his lonely <laughs> And I, I don't even well, mean to laugh, but it's just like it didn't start out that way. You know, it started out with a juggernaut team. And then you got first play of the series in the second round with James Harden hamstring. Then you got game three. Well, no, excuse. Yeah. Was it game three or game four with Kyrie Irving with the ankle? And so you got that situation right now. And he's out there on his lonely going back to Brooklyn right now in the game five. So it's kind of tough. You know, for the Brooklyn Nets right now, it's tough for the Utah Jazz as they're kind of limping against the Clippers with Mitchell and Mike Conley. But then the Bucks, they're missing Divin, uh, DiVincenzo, and it was a scary moment for uh, P.J. Tucker, too, in, a, in game four. So it's a lot going on. And so and I like what you said and how with the different nuggets. That's why I bring that up, because, you know, that transition so so fast within, what, 72 days with the turnaround for the season to begin and we see all these injuries pile up at a time where they really don't play basketball. It's only supposed to be two teams either wrapping up right now, normally in a in a you know regular season. In the right. NBA. Yeah, it's. I, I think that shortened off season definitely affected this year. I don't think anyone would argue otherwise, especially with the injuries. And even we saw Jimmy Butler. I, he was worn out. The guy played a terrible first round series against the Bucks. And I I would think that that was simply because a good portion of that was because he played so deep into the season last year into the bubble. He played so well in the bubble. And he had, yeah, the shortest offseason of anyone except for the Lakers. So he has to play in round one. He's overtaxing himself. So the effects were felt even deep into the playoff run this year, I think, for a lot of these players. And it's really going to come down to who's staying the most healthy. And Phoenix, to their credit, they have not only been healthy in the playoffs, They've been healthy all season long for the most part. I mean, the Chris Paul shoulder injury was really the first time that that team had Had to really deal. Yeah. Deal with a serious injury from a big time player this season. So they have been healthy. And I think that's a big reason why, too, that they have made it to the Western Conference Finals is their health, their durability. They've been able to stay healthy and then their stars haven't missed any games. So that's been huge for them and the reason they're in it now with the Jazz Clippers series. If Mike Conley can come back, that's obviously going to be a huge help for the Jazz. And I I don't think Mm -hmm. they get to the finals if they don't have Mike Conley on that team in the theoretical Western Conference final series against the Phoenix Suns. Um, And, and yeah, the Clippers are without Serge Ibaka, who it's a big deal for them because they struggle to rebound the ball. And Serge Ibaka's (laughs) interior presence would be huge for them. That's so true. the injuries not only are abundant, but they're to guys who make a big difference for their teams. Facts. Facts. Um, we have a stat of the week, too, speaking of Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, 
so our stat of the week, Zach, which is pretty impressive and it shows how good Chris Paul has been. CP3 has recorded 16 assists, but no turnovers in transition in that series, which is unbelievable. And it's a testament to how well he has played and how good of a point guard he has been for that young team in keeping everything under control, hurting his shoulder, coming back, being that calming presence and not being a net negative, turning the ball over. That man is the what? The point God, okay? <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. Chris Paul is the point God, okay? Now that we have that out the way, top five, top five point guard, easy, right? Like, I don't care what anyone says. Chris Paul is a top five, possibly top three point guard. For me, it's probably Magic. This Zeke, season or all Chris, time? All time. Uh, all time. Chris wow. all time. Chris Paul, CP3. It's just the what he's done throughout his career, right? And people have was on the bandwagon last night for Chris Paul should have been MVP. And you may have an argument and have a case based off this last series of putting the MVP of the NBA season this year out. So, yeah, he did play an MVP-level basketball, bum shoulder, go out there, you know, distribute the ball the way that he did. He had a 17.15 assists, zero turnovers game in that game three. Remarkable performances by Chris. And then he closed it with 25 points in the second half of that game four to sweep the Nuggets. Ooh, what he's done with some of the younger teams that he has been on has been very impressive. I will give that to him. And what he did to the Oklahoma City Thunder last season and what he's well, been man. doing to the Phoenix Suns this season, he has he, he's becoming known as that veteran rehabilitator to young teams that are a little bit too young to make runs into the playoffs or make runs late in the season. And he comes in. And he's just played phenomenally. He teaches these young guys what to do. He leads the team on the court. Not only is he just, you know, sitting on the sidelines telling them what to do, but he's on the court affecting the play. 37 points. He scored one more point than his age. I mean, that's, right, that's insane. <laughs> that's, that's really good for, for what he has been doing and what he's been doing all season long. You know, not only is he that calming veteran presence that you sometimes see guys come and who, who can mentor players, which is great, but he is that plus actually a good player, like an all NBA player this season. And that's, yeah. that's a big reason why they have a shot to win the finals. Absolutely. Why they have a shot to win the finals because they're healthy. They have Devin Booker. Who's a, who's the guy who can score anytime, anywhere in clutch possessions. They can use him to, to score for making a comeback when they're within, you know, six or seven. But then you have Chris Paul, who the mid-range king, the guy who's shooting up mid-range shots, yeah. and the guy who can control the pace of the offense. I mean, that's all you want. That's that's the perfect pieces to the puzzle. And you add DeAndre Ayton in there, they've got everything they need in one big pot. Hey, DeAndre Ayton, the glue. I told you they go the as far as he go. And I would say he did a pretty decent job on Nikola Jokic in that series. I knew yeah. that was key. And I felt like he did a pretty decent job on Jokic uh, in that last performance. Yeah, and Jokic has said, too, that Aiton is the guy that gives him the most trouble. Most trouble. Yep. And he wasn't wrong. Aiton, Aiton was able to do whatever he really wanted with him. And, and, and Jokic, too, to his credit, 
he was the only offensive oh, stabilizer for the Nuggets. He didn't have Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. It was just had. tough. I don't know if he just J- – Jay Crowder was giving him nightmares. I don't I don't know, Ben, what it really was. Oh, God. I did a player prop with him because he it was like 19 and a half for his points. And mm-hmm. this was after he had scored 17 and had a bad game, and he scored 17. Scored 17. So I'm That's like, good. oh, okay. Over 19 and a half, he should be able to get this, especially when he's pretty much the second best second. option on this mm-hmm. team, scoring-wise. And he he missed, no he joke, Zach, he missed his first four threes in a row. And I'm sitting there <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Four threes in, in the first quarter? Mm-mm-mm. It was horrible. So when he got it off four horrible. threes in, in the first quarter, four three-point attempts already? He kept shooting, yeah. Wow. Because he's he's the only other source of offense other than other than Jokic that is they feel like can be a consistent presence for them offensively. What happened with Aaron? It was working yeah. in the regular season with Jokic and Aaron. You know we talked about that a lot. Like that just sort of disappeared. Why? Like why? Yeah, that was a big reason too. They needed Aaron Gordon to step up, and offensively he he just he did not. Uh, he did not play up to par with, I think, what they wanted him to play. And maybe maybe he plays better when Jamal Murray is on the court and, and mm-hmm. he's able to get his more shots. Maybe he's not designated to be the number two slash number three guy on a playoff team. Maybe he's better suited as a number three and four guy. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why. The Suns are a great defensive team, so they were probably able to bottle him up. But, yeah, his his presence was missed. And Michael Porter Jr.'s inconsistencies Combine that with Jokic kind of being by himself as the only guy who could score consistently on that team. And you can see why the Suns were able to sweep them. The other series going on, um, the Hawks and the 76ers. And I I said to you a week or two ago, if they don't have DeAndre Hunter, the Hawks are a significantly worse team than I think people would expect. And their Mm -hmm. line, the line for game three was minus one and a half. For the 76ers, and I know they don't play as better as good on the road, and I know it was the first game of the series in Atlanta, but to give the 76ers with a fully healthy Embiid only one and a half points. That's how you feel. Disrespectful. That's how you feel. (laughs) That was incredibly disrespectful by Vegas. I hit that line hard because there was no way the 76ers were going to lose that game, and there was no way they were going to win by fewer than five or six points, I thought. I thought the line should have been four or five, maybe even six for the 76ers, but they made it minus one and a half, and the 76ers won by 16. <laughs> they won by 16. The two games that Embiid has played in this series fully, 76ers have beaten the Hawks by double digits, 16 points each game. And the line for game four tonight, as we record, is minus three for the 76ers. So I feel like you're feeling real lucky and you want to hammer that. So are I'm you going to hammer... Are you yeah. hammering the Sixers? Wow. I think Man, I have- what happened to the love for Trey? Like, we just had some love for Trey like a week ago. Now we don't have any more love for Ice I- Trey anymore. No, and you know why? <laughs> this is the reason. And watching the 76ers play the Hawks this way, especially defensively, after they adjusted after game one, they're putting mm-hmm. Simmons on him more religiously. Yeah, and, more. and so it, he struggles with the length of Simmons, and that's why Simmons is one of the better defenders in the league at 6'10", he's going to be able to guard guys like Trey because of his speed and length. But even if they try to screen off Simmons, he's stuck with someone like a Tobias Harris, who again has the size that Trey struggles with. And even if he gets past those two, 
you have to deal with Joel Embiid. <laughs> so he he is in trouble most places that he tries to go. And I don't think the Knicks the Knicks didn't have the size or the experience or the speed to match up with what Trey Young could do to them. But I think the 76ers do. And again, no DeAndre Hunter, and I think that's a big loss for them more than people people would expect. Okay. Well, you know, it's a desperate game. Atlanta's gonna be hot and turnt. You know, they'll try to be lit out there, bringing out all the stars. All the Atlanta rappers are coming to, you know, the arena now. They're coming to yeah. State Farm, and you know, they're all in the house. And so, I think at least in the first half, we're gonna either see a team like the Atlanta Hawks shoot a ton of threes and get the crowd into the game, and they try to, you know, get Bogdanovich involved. I think we're gonna see a more passive. Trey Young in the first half to really get the other guys going. So then that second half, he can really try to get his offense going with that floater game and try to create different mismatches because you're right. Ben Simmons has done a very good job on Trey Young. And then even with that switch with Tobias Harris or even Danny Green, but they got to try to find that weakest link on the perimeter, whether it's, you know, bring it out. If, if this is what I would do. I would bring Joel Embiid, whoever his man is, to set the screen. That's what I would honestly do. So that way, if they really want to truly switch, then that's when you truly have the mismatch. And then if Collins is on the floor and Clint Capella's the one setting the screen, now you have different options and different scenarios. I would look to have John Collins less around the perimeter and more so like flashing around the rim along with Clint Capella. All right, we'll see if they do make those adjustments. Now, if the if the Hawks win this game and they they tie the series up at two to two, mm-hmm. who are who are you going to take to win the series? You, would mm-hmm. you still ride with the 76ers because they're still going to be the favorite to win the series, even if the Hawks tie it up? That's true. Would you still ride with the 76ers, or depending on I, I just, guess depending on how the Hawks play tonight in a win, if they win, would you say okay, I may have to ride with the Hawks now? It's just that Philly, they never really lose at home, you know. Yeah. But they haven't shot, they haven't shot very well, you know, in terms of like from three point line or anything like that. I just believe that they've gotten it done defensively in their two wins so far, and I think that's why they're in the situation that they're in, alongside obviously Joel Embiid playing well. But game five at home in Philly. I think game five determines who wins this series. So I would still have to take Philly only because they'll be at home. Yeah, I would too. I I think Philly is, um, and we could talk about that too with the Nets and the injuries, which we hit on a bit, but I think Philly is destined to go to the finals. If they're fully healthy, if they can get Danny Green back and Embiid is fully healthy, I think this is a finals team. I I think they have the defensive personnel to, to defend any of the teams that, are in the East that are left. And I think they have the scoring options too, with Embiid leading the charge down low. Um, and you have help a little bit from Simmons and you have outside help with Seth Curry and Tobias Harris is always there for offensive help. I, I think the 76ers are one of those teams, especially if the Nets are hurt, that I think are going to make the finals. Now with that Nets Bucks series tied to there you the go. Two, yeah. I think it's the Bucks to lose at this point. Now, we we don't know how long Kyrie is going to be out. And they said the x-rays were negative. So it doesn't seem like he's going to be out for a super long period of time. 
But if he's out for a very crucial game five and the Bucks take that game, I don't know if the Bucks are going to lose one, two of games in a row after that. If they go up 3-2, I don't see the Bucks losing the next two games in a row. So I uh, I think the Nets are in a tough position because I don't know if Kyrie plays in the next game. And if he doesn't, Durant by himself, that's tough. The Bucks are Listen, a tough team. I'm going to paint this picture for you like I do. Because this is well, this is how superstar, this is how superstars are made right here in the playoffs. Two superstars go down in the same series. What are you gonna do, Kevin Durant? You see, Ben, no one really criticizes Kevin Durant in terms of like performance on the floor. You know, and you know, he rarely ever has, you know, struggles. So that's that's fair, right? But when he does struggle, it's very rare that you hear the criticism. Well, I'm going to give you some game right now, Ben. He did not show up in that fourth quarter of that game four. Like, no matter what anyone says, you can look to the bench and see that Kyrie's not on the bench being ready to check in or James Harden's in street clothes. You can look at it like that all you want. But Kevin Durant, you're supposed to rise to the occasion. Like, you're the best scorer we've seen. You are walking bucket, walking cheat code, buddy. So game five, everyone's saying go for 40, 40 plus hammer 40 plus for game five for Kevin Durant, because everyone is expecting the Slim Reaper to come out with an all NBA type performance and try to get a dub game five. I think the Nets come up short because, you know, obviously the uh, Milwaukee Bucks are at full strength minus uh, Dante DiVincenzo. I still think they can win game five on the road against the uh, Brooklyn team that will be at home. Wow. That's impressive. I don't, I think if Durant is by himself, PJ Tucker has been doing such a good job on him as good of a job. People got to quit saying that though. Cause so, so Kevin Durant doesn't hear it. No, I don't want Kevin Durant to hear it. And they feed like it, it feeds him that energy that he'll need going into game five. I need that noise to quiet down just a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> because you're not going to stop. There's no defender on earth, I don't think. Other, no, there's no one. There's no one on earth that's going to stop Durant from scoring. I mean, he's, he's going to score. The, that's just a fact. And there's no one that's going to be able to fully stop him from doing that. But I think P.J. Tucker has done a very good job on him uh, to annoy him enough, to be physical with him enough, to get him out of his rhythm enough to prevent him from scoring some big shots, especially down the clutch of game three. When we saw the Bucs finally get that first win of the series after going down yeah, 2-0 when yeah. people thought the Nets were going to sweep them, P.J. Tucker was able to stop Durant from shooting the ball in a very crucial possession that ended up in the hands of Joe Harris, who missed a mid-range jumper. When, when they were ahead, they could have extended the lead to two possessions. They missed the shot. The Bucs got the ball back, and they end up winning mm-hmm. that game. Mm-hmm. So not... I mean, Durant scored some clutch shots down the stretch too on Tucker, but it's that one possession. That's all you need to get to stop him is that one or two possessions. And PJ Tucker has been able to do that. So I think to me, that is a big reason why the Bucs have a shot. If it's only Durant left in this series, you throw PJ Tucker at him. And then if he gets past PJ Tucker, you throw everyone else at him and you let the role player score. If the role mm-hmm. players end up beating you, you got more problems. <laughs> than just not being able to stop Kevin Durant. You you, you deserve to lose if you have the That's role true. players beating you in game five 
of a playoff series where you should be able to take the lead. So if 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 you triple team Durant and you see his role, role players and his bench players starting to hit threes, more power to him, more power to be for them to be able to hit threes in clutch possessions. So I think that has to be the strategy. I think PJ Tucker is up to it as long as he stays healthy. Um, and as long as Durant's security guards not running on the court and stopping PJ Tucker from doing anything like that, which was insane, by the way, that he thought Durant was like seriously in danger enough that he had to stop PJ Tucker, who is friends with Kevin Durant <laughs> for doing they it. Are doing friends. They yeah, are they're friends. Yeah, they're friends off the court. So that type of stuff is funny. But I, I do think PJ Tucker's been a huge asset to the to the Bucks in this series. He was a great pickup for them this year. You think they're gonna need to go inside more? the Bucks in this series? Yeah, and I still think Budenholzer doesn't fully know how to use Giannis. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Like, it's in, it's literally insane. And people try to blame Giannis for it, but it's like, can we ever just look at the coach for once? Like, Mike is just out there. It's like pulling teeth for to get this guy to change it up, adjust, <laughs> do something. It's like, okay, game one, I felt like they were doing a good job in the interior, right? Brooke Lopez came out very aggressive in the first half of that game one. You know, they lost, they came up short, but they dominated the paint in that game, and that's why that game was a little tighter than game two. And so I feel like they need to go a little bit more towards the inside-out game if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. And, man, it's not going to kill you to just adjust and put Giannis on the block, Budenholzer. I promise. Yeah, I think that's the move. I think he has to play solely down low. You cannot have Giannis (laughs) go 0 for 5 from 3 and then give him the green light to keep shooting threes. (laughs) <laughs> what is that? What is that coaching? That is horrendous because either a right, either Budenholzer is okay with him taking those shots and was drawing up plays for Giannis to hit threes, which is bad. Or B, Budenholzer was telling Giannis to not shoot threes and tell him to go inside and was telling him to stop shooting threes. And Giannis was ignoring him, which is also <laughs> bad. So it's one of those two and each is bad in and of itself. So that is not a good look for the Bucks or Budenholzer <laughs> or his coaching, which is very worrisome and something they're going to have to address later on in the offseason. But you cannot have Giannis shooting. I, I don't want Giannis shooting any threes, honestly. <laughs> he doesn't need to shoot threes. And I know you talk about, you know, you need the defense to respect you. You you want the yeah. defense to play off you sometimes in three. Giannis, he's a, the Greek freak for a reason. The guy can get past anybody who is defending him, even if it's close up on the three-point line. The guy, he, it takes him one step to get to the basket from the free-throw line. You're not, or from the three-point line. You're not going, it doesn't matter if the defender is playing a foot or two back even more. So I, I don't think he needs to shoot any threes. I think him shooting threes is a huge detriment to the team because he's not going to make them most of the time, even if he's open. The guy is not a three-point shooter, and he needs to stop pretending like he is a three-point shooter until he can get a consistent three-point shot, which he does not have right now. So he needs to stop taking those shots in the playoffs because it annoys the living hell out of me that he keeps doing it. And it's usually in crucial possessions, too. He'll do it in transition, and you're like, yes, I be smarter. You're you're a two-time MVP, and you're 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 showing the intelligence so of a rookie. Yeah, it's he just insane. makes it so much 
so much harder on himself than he has to. Then he exerts energy he doesn't have to by just having the ball in his hand. But Mike Budenholzer, he better get it together before he wind up on his next segment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I 100% agree. All right, let's do the next segment. That is coaching carousel. <laughs> and we hope, uh, I'm sure Buden hopes that he is not going to be on this segment once we uh, go deeper into the summer. I don't know if he, I don't if they don't make the conference finals. I think he is gone. But that is a yeah. conversation for another day. Yeah, if they, if they don't make the conference finals, Budenholzer's out. You have to because it's just not working. Then you have to do do some changes. Mm-hmm. The news coming out for Coach and Carousel, the Magic have requested an interview with Jason Kidd. And Zach, I don't know you if, if you have the same feelings as me about this. But what? the heck do people see from Jason Kidd? Why does everybody want Jason Kidd to be their head coach? We Why saw not? what he did. In, we saw what he did in Milwaukee and he didn't right. develop Giannis at oh, all. Oh man. Oh, he did nothing, he did no. nothing to help. I don't know. Wait, 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 <laughs> hold on. I don't know now because when you look at it like this, Giannis first gets in the league. Was Jason Kidd the coach yet? I don't think he was the coach yet. I think the year after he became the coach, put the ball in Giannis's hand. We got to give Jason Kidd the credit for that, putting the ball in Giannis's hand in terms of being ball dominant and bringing the ball up the floor. No one did that before Jason Kidd became the coach. And he got him to the playoffs at least. You know, he hasn't been a coach, I think, at the head coach level since then. And so that may be the reason. I don't – where do you get this beef from with Jason Kidd? What's up with I, that? I don't – I don't – nothing about him makes any sense. I don't know why players <laughs> really player want him that league. badly. I, he was a great player in this league, period. He's not a great coach in this league. I'm fine with him being a great player. Michael Jordan would not make a good NBA coach. The guy would not be a good coach. And I don't think Jason Kidd would be that good of a coach. And he has shown that he probably wouldn't be a good coach. I know he's been an assistant for a while, so maybe he's learned some things that have helped him out. So I'm willing to put that aside and say maybe he has learned more being an assistant on a couple of teams. But I just don't get it. I I don't understand why players want him to be the head coach. And I think I have learned in the past that players, the the coaches that players really desperately want, I don't think are necessarily good for the team as a whole. I think the players sometimes want coaches that they think will either like go easy on them or make their lives easier or put the ball in their hands more. And in any of those three scenarios, they're not thinking about the team in general. They're just thinking about themselves, which I don't fault them for. I think anyone would want a boss or whoever that favors them and, and makes their lives easier. But for a, for a team like an NBA team or any team in general, you, you want the coach that not is just a player friendly coach, but a coach that has results and a coach that knows how to get things done and a coach that knows how, how to be hard on players when they need to be hard on players. So I, I, I don't think people should lend a lot of credence to when players say, Oh, we want, you know, we want Jason Kidd to be head coach and then say, all right, they should get Jason Kidd to be their head coach. Because I don't think players necessarily know who the right coach is for the team as a whole. They know what coach is right for them personally, but that doesn't mean they know what coach is right for them for the team as a whole. Well, I think the what's dynamic about Orlando being interested in Jason Kidd is that Jason Kidd played in around the same time 
as Greg Anthony, who have whose son, Cole Anthony, happens to be the point guard for the Orlando Magic. Markel Fultz, a guy from out west, not from Oakland where Jason Kidd's from, but he's from out west, Seattle area. Pretty sure he's ran into Jason Kidd at some point. So two guards who probably need, you know, a coach like Jason Kidd to develop them. And then if you can find some good assistance to help, you know, develop. I think like a guy like Kevin Garnett could be a great developer for the big men. So like the uh, the stretch big of today, I think he can really help out guys like Mo Bamba. A lot of people want to see him thrive. A lot of people even want to see Bobo thrive. And, you know, he's in yeah. the shadows of Nikola Jokic. So if even if he could get moved somewhere in a different position, but back to Mo Bamba, to see him kind of develop and grow in an Orlando uniform would be nice because, you know, we haven't really seen him due to injury and lack of minutes. And so with the trade of Aaron Gordon, you would have thought the minutes would increase. But, you know, Wendell Carter's there now. And so he's kind of took over that position from the uh, four position. Yeah. I, so I just... I don't know. I think there are better coaching options available. And we talked about, we talked, I, I tweeted this out about the Pacers I don't want Becky who have an Orlando. open coaching. Spot. Okay. I don't want Becky's first job to be Orlando. She yeah, deserves better. All right. Yes. No, I agree. And the next spot with the Blazers, they interviewed Mike D'Antoni. They, they want to interview Becky Hammond, Don Staley, Chauncey Billups. I do think Chauncey Billups would would be a good coach. And you know how I feel about players who have or were former broadcasters, A, and yeah, people who are yeah, yeah. broadcasters becoming good coaches. Now, I don't know if that ended up being correct with Stan Van Gundy and the Pelicans, because I don't think the Pelicans players like him that much. <laughs> but I don't know if that has anything to do with his X's and O's. That might just be an old man not really understanding a younger generation of players and knowing how to connect with them. So that might be an issue in and of itself. But I do think Chauncey Billups, from what I've heard him talk about and from what I've heard him as a color commentator, I think he would be a pretty good coach. And I think Becky Hammond would be an interesting coach for the Blazers because they are set up in a really good position where I think she could bring some of that Spurs mentality to the Blazers and hopefully improve their defense. Because if they have the same players and they have the same offense and they improve that defense just a little bit, a team that can compete for the Western Conference Finals every year. Every year, their defense is so bad that if you improve that defense just a little bit and even make it just a little bit subpar, sub-average in the NBA, <laughs> oh, that team is incredible every single year. I so I think that would be mm-hmm. I tell people that all the time. It's not the offense. It's not like they can't score. Somebody got to guard somebody, <laughs> right? Like someone has to guard someone. So I like the idea of Dawn Staley being interviewed, but I think she needs to stay and represent and represent women, uh, women's college basketball. We need a lot more women uh, college basketball coaches, you know, and there's not a lot because uh, we know why, right? Lack of representation, you know, more, more men tend to dominate in those realms. And so I think she needs to continue to be a voice for women's uh, college athletics, in my opinion, for Dawn Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, I I think Becky Hammond would be a good coach for the Pacers as well because they, again, I I think they play the the exact type of style that I think she would coach really well for, and that is, I mean, she's coming from the Spurs, so that's the style that, you know, she has been accustomed to for however many years she brings that to the, to the Pacers, and that's a team that's already set up to make the playoffs next season. Yes. They're going to have everyone back. 
I mean, that is one of the most stacked teams. I mean, I would probably, if I was a head coach and I had to pick between the Blazers and the Pacers for who to choose, I would probably pick the Pacers. I mean, that team is set up to win. (laughs) And I told you this like a month ago, and I still stand by this with the coach that would be absolutely perfect for the Pacers, and that is David Fisdale. I don't think there's any other coach out there that fits fits an opening more than David Fisdale fits the opening for the Pacers. I think that would be just a perfect, perfect match. Either Becky, honestly, because I want Becky's first job to be set up for success. So, like, if she she can go anywhere, I don't want it to really be Boston. I feel like the fans wouldn't appreciate her over there in Boston. If she went there, yeah. I feel like Deanna would have definitely appreciate Becky Hammond. I feel like that's a match made. And like you say, I love I've almost forgot you said that a few weeks, a few weeks back. But yes, David Fisdale is definitely oh. a match made for the Pacers. It would be oh, that would be so great. I think yeah. I would be I would have to start rooting for them a little bit just because of that. <laughs> Uh, let's see what NBA Twitter is talking about this week. What it do, baby? And I don't know if you saw this one, Zach, but Ooh, there was a fight in the stands. <laughs> on, uh, as, as there has been the past month or so with fans finally coming back to stadiums, we saw yet another fan fight. And this was the Suns fan and a Nuggets fan fighting against each other in the stands. And they were, I think the Suns fan was beating up on the Nuggets fan pretty good. <laughs> and as the Nuggets fan was leaving... What do the Suns fans start saying? Suns and four, Suns and four. And you got to give the shout out to that guy because he ended up being right. <laughs> he ended up being completely correct. What game was that? Was that game? What game was that when they fought? Was that two or three? I think it was game. I think it was game two. I think it game was game two. two. It might yeah, have been game three. Let me. I'll quickly nah, he, Google that. <laughs> he was definitely uh, a Nuggets fan. He had on what a Jamal Murray jersey. I think they both had on Jamal Murray jersey. I think the guy was beating up on both guys. <laughs> and then afterwards, when yeah. they kind of separated, he was like, he was like, sons in four, sons <laughs> like four. in four, in so much yeah. confidence. He, he look, he beat him. I bet Devin, yeah. Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, they all saw that video after that game. It was like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta bring it home. <laughs> gotta help our boy out. Yeah, I was so it was game three that he said that, and then when they were winning in game three, so they only needed to win one more for it to come true. But good on him, honestly, for uh, for calling that series out correctly <laughs> at, right after a fight. Uh, what else is going on? What is that? LeBron and Drake show up at a high school game. Yeah, they showed up at Bronny's game. Bronny, Bronny, oh, okay. and uh. But it wasn't, see, Bronny, you know, he's the celebrity star. But the Bailey kid that's on Sierra Cannon, he's going to be in the NBA probably in like two or three years. So Jeff Goodman will probably be talking about that kid uh, pretty soon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Drake, LeBron, they're wilding out on the sidelines, chirping with the refs. Drake's literally, like, arguing with the ref. Like, he has a kid out there, and he doesn't. His little son is literally right next to him. So it was just crazy. Then a kid got dunked on, and LeBron and Drake were going berserk. So, yeah, it was was funny to see. It's always good. I'm always... As long as it's, you know, civil and <laughs> relatively nice, I'm fine with people going to games and yelling at the refs in, in, in a high school situation. I think it makes it more fun as long as they keep it <laughs> civil and they understand it's not the end of the world. Uh, Billy Donovan and Pat Williams, they were spotted going to the Bucks nets game together, which makes me very happy as a Bulls fan because the head coach and the uh, potential face of the franchise in a couple years 
Patrick Williams, hopefully within the next five years, going out together. It's good to see them building some chemistry and, and doing activities yeah. outside Developing of relationship. coach-player relationships. So that was uh, that was good to see, and I hope at least a good things, honestly. I think that'll do it, Zach. I know our series predictions, we got the Suns semi-right. Suns, we said we're going to win that game, or we're going to win the yeah. series. We said they were going to win in seven, so we were three games short. Three it's the Jazz in five. I, jazz in five. You said Clippers in seven, so we both potentially could still be right in that one. Um, Hawks in six. Not looking great for us. Not looking great one. for us, but not hey, I give credit to Joel and B. <laughs> yeah, it's still possible. Hawks could win three games in a row, so it's still possible. It and is. then the net, the Nets in six, which we said would happen, officially looked pretty solid. But now it's tied up to two. So again, that series that could still go correctly. I think that's that one is on track to maybe be correct as long as Kyrie Nets is six. Or, oh, yeah. okay. Because if listen, if Kyrie, like you said, if Kyrie or Zayn is unavailable yeah. for Game Five. Oh, okay. Kevin Durant has to go, has to have that all NBA performance. Yeah. It's going to be kind of scary. <laughs> so, so we're, we you know, well. 50% right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that'll conclude this edition of Points in the Paint podcast. We want to say thank you, everyone. For always listening and make sure you subscribe to Points in the Paint. Follow us on Facebook at Points Paint and also on Twitter at the same handle, Points Paint. Follow Shams for all of your association, National Basketball Association, all the way around. Updates, Sham Bombs. You know who to follow, Shams on Twitter. Make sure you follow Stadium as well. Catch Eddie and Felder presents Trash and Treasure every Thursday. Great content and sometimes even exclusive interviews. Sharp lessons. If you want to make a couple of dollars, you got to listen to Sharp Lessons with my man Ben Wittenstein holding it down with our boy Michael Rizzo and our boy Nate Jacobson bringing the best bets possible for you to make a couple of dollars and get rich. And so that concludes this edition of Points in the Paint. You're from us next week.